welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! I, I, I said a few weeks ago that uh, we were in what I call a target practice season. How many remember that? Or that was that last week? Two weeks ago. We're in a target practice season season, and our target is peace, and we're talking about relationships, and uh, we talked about relationship goals, and we talked about how often aiming for peace in relationship can be really challenging. We've got to overcome a lot of evil, a lot of conflict, a lot of challenges, a lot of unfortunate uh, circumstances and situations to, to, to aim and to, to hit peace in relationship. We talked about how peace it's not about the other person's response to you. It's about your response to them. We talked about how as far as it depends on you, you do you. You deal with your junk. Don't worry about the other person. You let go of the stuff that's holding you back in bitterness and let God do the rest. We talked about how a lot of, a lot of us don't want to forgive or, or, or don't want to aim for peace because we're waiting for somebody else to do all the work for us. I shared how, you know, uh, years ago when I was traveling, and I used to stay at people's houses. I don't do that anymore. And I was staying in, I was in Indiana. And I was at this, um, this large acreage. And this, this man, this generous man who was hosting us, he gave us like over two and a half rounds of, of clay pigeon shooting. You know, skeet shooting, they call it. And so we were in his field. And I had never done it before. And, you know, I'd never shot you know, a, a double-barrel shotgun towards, you know, clay discs before, and it was very new for me. I never really shot a moving target, to be honest with you. The, the most I'd ever shot at that point was with a BB gun against some cans, you know, in a backyard. But here I'm learning how to shoot a moving target. And at first it was really tough, and I had to learn how to get my stance, how to learn to the, the, the basic rules of engagement. And after about probably 20 to 30 minutes, I like mastered it. I was hitting every single clay pigeon that was being shot out of that gun. It was awesome. All kinds of new you know, neurons were firing in my brain. It was a new experience. And I, just, I realized that if you're going to hit a moving target, you have to know the rules of engagement. And I think that relationships and aiming for peace in relationships sometimes feels like a moving target. It can feel hard, right? Like, you gotta, you got to know how to engage it. It's not so simple as just standing. You have all the time in the world to aim and shoot. No, you're, it's, it's moving. The, the relationships in your life, the challenges that you're facing in relationships in your life, it's like trying to hit a moving target. There's lots of challenges that will come your way. I talked about family members. Remember? Family dinners. Maybe the last family dinner that you had was around your, your anti-COVID you know, belief systems. Maybe you don't even believe COVID is a thing. Then you have somebody that is like, for, you know, I want to get like every single vaccine the government's ever going to give us. And your family's divided. 
and you're arguing, and then the religious topic comes up, and then politics comes up, and all these controversial things come up, and then your family conversations at the dinner table kind of implode, and you don't feel peace anymore, and you've kind of swept all that under the rug because you don't want to deal with it or it's too hard to deal with, and there's hidden tension in the family, hidden tension in relationships and in friendships, and you've stopped aiming cooperatively together for peace in the relationship. How many want to admit to that? Nobody. There's been some stuff. Only one person in the back. I see your hand. I see your hand over there. Only, you know, there's been some challenging times in the last several years. And so if there was ever a time that we need to aim for peace, it's now. It's now. And so I opened up this whole message with Romans 12, and I read 12 verses to you. And I'm going to do that again, and I'm going to do part two of this today. So if you haven't heard Target Practice Part 1, you got to go back and listen. It's about two weeks ago online. Okay, Target Practice 2. But before I go into that, I want to read Romans chapter 12, verse 9. I'm going to read um, about 12 verses to you, and I'm going to jump on two specifically. And we're going to break those, those down. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Now, this is Paul the Apostle writing to the believers at Rome. And I just want to give you some context. He's coming out. You, you, to, to understand context, we need to understand what surrounds the text, okay? I'm not going to go into everything, but in Romans chapter 11, really, Paul is really introducing the fact of the value of the Jews' rejection of Jesus so that everyone else, the Gentiles, could be grafted in. And he's really celebrating that at some level. He's talking about how because of their rejection, you've been invited into relationship. And he's sharing with the Gentile community at this point basically like how blessed you are because of the Jews' rejection. And then he goes into Romans 12 and he says, now listen, now because of, in light of all this stuff, I, I don't want you to take this lightly. Like, this is no joke, so I want you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. I want all of your life. I don't want you to live on the fence. Half in with me, kind of half in over here with the world. I want you to be all in with me. I want, to, I want you to offer your whole body. You know who owns the fence? The devil. The devil owns the fence. If a man sits too long on a fence, there's no reproduction happening, if you know what I mean. The devil owns the fence. If you want to produce the kind of fruit God wants for you to produce in life, you got to get off the fence. I want you all in. So he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That's what worship is, he says. And then he says, and be transformed on the inside by the renewing of your mind. Change your stinking thinking and watch the metamorphosis take place. The, 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 word, met, the word for transformation is, is likened to the word that's used of the metamorphosis that happens to a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. I want a total turnaround of your life by simply thinking different about your situations, about life. And then he continues on talking about the value of community, the value of relationships, the value of you playing your part, the value of you finding your talent, the value of you finding your gifts, your, your leadership gifts, the, who God's created you to be in the context of community. And then he goes into verse 9. I'm going to read this to you. He says this, love must be sincere. This is Romans chapter 12. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Everyone say hate. It's a strong word, but we need to hate what is evil. Cling 
to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. There's so much truth and meat in this verse right here. And we're going to land here in just a few moments. Honor one another above yourselves, verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Patient. How many have a hard time being patient? You think traffic is affliction. You think waiting in line at the grocery store is affliction. Be patient when there is pressure on all sides. Pressure on all sides, not just externally, but internally. When you feel that pressure, be patient. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. He says, be generous. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those, or bless and do not curse. So he's like, love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Pray for everybody that you can't stand. Pray that God would bless them. That looks like forgiveness. If you want to know if you've really forgiven somebody, if you can't pray that they would have a prosperous life, you probably still have bitterness towards them and haven't forgiven them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Basically, don't look like your enemy. Don't respond in the same way you're being responded to. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Be the example, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. So you have a responsibility in this equation. Don't wait for someone else to do all the work for you. Don't wait for your dad to forgive you because he rejected you. You forgive him. Don't wait for your mom to forgive you because she, <laughs> she didn't want you. You forgive her. Don't wait for your coworker, your friend, your ex-wife, your wife, or whoever the, the person in your life that you care a lot about. Don't wait for them to do the work. You do the work. It depends on you. You do you and let God do the rest. Verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. In other words, if you're nice, you'll kill them with kindness. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This really is the ultimate goal of this passage. <clears throat> At the end of the day, there is an evil trying to stop you from aiming and hitting peace in relationships. There is an evil trying to stop you from feeling peace in relationships. So I'm diving in today to target practice part two. <clears throat> Forgive me for my voice. If I can get some water, that would be great. My voice is a little raspy this morning. We're talking about community and commitment. Community and commitment. And like I said, aiming for peace is a moving target. And so we're going to offer more steps today 
in hitting that target through this text. And we're going to focus on two specific verses, okay? But we're going to start with verse 9 of chapter 12. But we're really going to focus on verse 10 and 11. But we're going to start in verse 9. Listen to what it says. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. This word for sincere love, there's different kinds of love. There is a love that you think is love, and there, are, there is a love that actually is God's love. The kind of love that God wants you to love with is a sincere, a sincere love. This word means non-hypocritical. This word means without hidden motives, without a hidden agenda. How many know people that love with a hidden agenda? Or it looks like love. I wonder if it really is love. It sounds like love, but there's a hidden motive. There may be some hypocrisy in that love. That isn't the kind of love he's talking about. He says, he says love must be sincere. And it says here, hate what is evil. This word, you see it in some translations, abhor, abhor what is evil. And this word for evil literally means the inevitable misery or agonies that come with evil. So hate all of the fruitfulness of what evil brings. That's what he's saying. Despise it. Despise the fruitfulness of what evil brings. Let your love be without hidden motives. Let your love be non-hypocritical. And be dead set against all of the fruit that evil may bring. He says cling. This word for cling literally means to adhere to like glue. Be glued to what is good. The word means intimately connected in a soul-knit friendship. Interesting. What is good? What does it mean to cling to what is good? Let me tell you what is good. Relationships built on a healthy foundation of sincere love. That's what he's talking about. Because the context, we read the context, it's not just good things. It's the goodness that comes by being connected. If you read the verses prior to verse 9, you see the, the value of connectedness and people playing their part, playing their role, finding their gift set, and what that does in the context of community. Now, let's go to verse chapter, or chapter 12, verse 10, and we're going to dive into point number one because I want to give you four more steps in hitting the target of peace relationally today. Number one, write this down if you're taking notes. Sincerely love family. Now, it sounds so simple, it sounds so easy, but if you look and you break down the word in verse 10, it says, be devoted. This word devoted means to be a lover of family. It means to be a lover of family, love community, not just your actual family, but anybody you call family. Some people call their friends family. It may be your spiritual family. It may be your group of friends. They feel like family to you. They feel like your tribe. Love your family hard. That's what it means. It's the special affection. This is what it means. Break down the word for you. It's the special affection shared between members of God's family. Now, I, I know so many people that would say they love community. Let's, let's connect it back to community for a second. That say they are devoted, that say they love community, but really don't show their true colors in community. 
They don't let people in. It's very surface. It's very surface. To be in family means you have to let your guard down. To be in family means you have to be willing to be vulnerable and be hurt. To be in family means you have to be willing to be rejected, to be betrayed, to be talked bad about. Because all of these things come with vulnerable relationship. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody in the room this morning? We are called to be a lover of family. And I, I want to encourage you to think of how this applies to your spiritual community. Because I know so many people that say they love community, but just won't let people in. They never seem to connect. They want community. They want relationship. And they may be the first to complain about the lack of community, and yet they don't seem to ever connect anywhere they go. They don't seem to connect with anywhere they go. Everywhere they go, whether it's church to church, whether it's job to job, whether it's relationship to relationship, nobody understands me. I am just an under, uh, uh, a non-understandable person, right? You know people like that? Like the, people just don't understand who I am. Well, let them understand who you are because to be a lover of family means you have to let them in. You got to let them in. You got to break through your own walls, your own devils. Sometimes the biggest opposing force against you is not the devil in your life. It's just you. Straight up, it's you. You are the stumbling block for you. And as soon as you get over you, I think you can get, you'll see a lot of change happen in your life in this area. So we have sincerely love family, number one, hitting the target of peace. Number two, write this down. Honor from value. Honor from value. Now, I just want to say this because I feel like it's, it's important that real sincerity of love often is born out of crisis in relationship. Like if you've not been through stuff, you might think you love, but your love is tested when you're in crisis. I mean, the whole premise of till death do us part in a wedding, making a vow, is that. In sickness and in health, right? In the ups and the downs, till death do us part. Like, I'm committed to love you, but on this day, when we're in the honeymoon stage, we've not been through a lot of stuff, maybe that love is not truly sincere yet the way that it should be and could be. Because that sincerity of love is proven through trial, through crisis, through loss, right? Sickness, death. I mean, all these things have a way of really provoking you and saying, hey, do you really sincerely love this individual? Are you with me this morning? I think we need to understand that as we approach these verses because the, the introduction to helping us understand these steps to aim for peace really is from the backbone of loving sincerely, Paul says. To love from a non-hypocritical, without hidden motives. Number two, write this down, honor from value, if you haven't already. Verse 10 says this, be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. Everyone say honor. It's a big word. 
so many people have a different perspective of what honor means in every situation, right? You know what I'm talking about? Some people equate honor to title. Well, call me by the title. It's a form of honor. I think there's all kinds of forms of honor. I really do. But at the core, hopefully, honor, what's motivating honor is a sincere love, a sincere respect, a sincere value that you have for another person. Now, to break this word down, it's actually spelt like the word time. The Greek word is spelt like the word time, which I think is pretty interesting because often we really, honor looks like time. I know it's not. I can't theologically say that that's what it is because it's just spelt like the word time, but I thought it was kind of interesting. But the word honor literally means to pay respect from a place of perceived value and worth. That's why I said honor from value because when you honor from value, you're honoring often with a sincerity. Honoring because someone told you to honor, I don't know if it's real honor. But honoring because you see the value and the worth of the individual will actually provoke in you a real lifestyle of honor. Like, we want to build a culture and see a culture here of honor. Honor for each other, honor for, of course, God. I mean, the healthiest business cultures around have a culture of honor where they honor each other. They're not trying to fight for the, the top and fight for position, but they can respect and honor because they know, hey, you have value here. I don't have that same value, but I'm honored in my own position, even if I don't feel sometimes that I have the same value as other people. Honor one another. It means to perceive the value, the worth, the literal price of an individual. It's what has value in the eyes of the beholder, literally meaning the weight of an individual. Are you hearing this? And I, I would say this, I, I would suggest this this morning, that if we don't honor or we've lost honor, I wonder if it's because we've lost seeing the value of the individual or the situation. This happens in marriages, right? If you lose respect, you lose honor, you stop seeing the value and the weight of that individual and what they carry for the relationship, guess what gets kicked out first usually is honor. And honor looks like respect. Honor looks like love. Honor looks like being able to be with you when you're at your worst, at the same time being able to be with you when you're at your best. So if we don't honor, I wonder if it's because we've lost the value. Write this down. When we lose perspective of what is valuable, we lose what and who we should be honoring. Let me say it for those in the back. When we lose perspective of what is valuable, we lose what and who we should be honoring. This applies to our relationship with God. So think about the time when you first had your encounter with God. I mean, you were like in the honeymoon, goosebump. I got the Holy Ghost goosebumps everywhere I go face, right? All things were new. All you could think about was talking to Jesus. All you could think about was, you know, putting on that worship CD in the car. All you could think about is growing and learning and maybe being in church. All you could think about is being around spiritual community. 
time goes by, challenges happen, crisis hits, loss, relational breakdown, disappointment, betrayal, discouragement from the very people that you once were so excited to hang out with. And all of a sudden, somehow it's painted a perspective or a picture in your mind that maybe God's like that and I've lost value for this. So eventually I lose value for him. And I don't see God as the same valuable person as I once saw him. And now my lifestyle is reflecting the lack of honor. How I live my life is a reflection of the lack of honor. And the lack of honor stems from I've lost the, the sight of the value of what used to be valuable to me. You hear what I'm saying? This applies to every area of life. You once were passionate about your business idea or your job, your career, and you saw value. You lose the value. You lose the honor. It's reflected in your lifestyle. Show up to work late. You don't care anymore. Whereas in the beginning, you're like, you were on time. Not You weren't even on time. You were early. Right? You were early. You were like, <laughs> I'm not thinking about calling in for a sick day. I love my job. But then so-and-so got mad at you because you didn't mop the floor properly. You got super offended. And now you're offended, and now you don't want to work there anymore because somebody offended you. Right? Someone commented about your hair color. Someone commented about the thing that you were, the tattoo that you got or the pants you were wearing, and you got super offended. And you're like, I can't work in this culture. It's toxic. Everything's toxic. All men are toxic. Everything's toxic. I don't want to go on a rabbit trail. I was like being pulled into a rabbit trail there. But we lose value and we lose honor. We stop seeing value in the house of God. Like, you know, there's a statistic, and most, and this is more of North America, but I think it's probably mostly in the U.S., but I would say it's probably even worse in Canada. I don't know the current Canada stats on this. But the average person that says they love God and are in relationship with him, that say they have a home church, attends church once every like four to six weeks. That's really sad. So the house of God, and it's funny because so much, so many, so many people complain about what the church is not doing. And they are the church, and they're not even connected in spiritual family. And, and, and we wonder why the church is fragmented. And I said this before, and like the church often can look like a zombie walking around disfigured, right? Because not everybody's playing their part. So you got a paralyzed foot because so-and-so is over there not playing their part in the house of God. And they're the foot. And they're like, where are all the feet? God's like, you're the foot. Get off the soccer field and into the church. And that's often because maybe it's the parents, maybe it's the people, I don't know. We lose value for the house of God, and then the house of God suffers 
and we're often the first people to complain about what's not happening. We lose value for the gathering. We lose value for spiritual community, and we stop honoring. And, of course, that affects our finances then. We lose honor. We, well, for sure, God's not in my finances. I was talking to somebody this, this week, actually, about hockey culture, you know. And I think there's exceptions. I think there's a, a line between you really believe that your son or your daughter can make it into some sort of professional sport and you feel like the, the word of the Lord to invest. And then there's the, there's the line of, well, you know they're not going to probably make it to the NHL, but you're going to invest this good discipline along the journey. But then you have so many people. What happens is we're talking about this. He's like, house league hockey is like five days a week for him. Five days a week. And I'm just using this as an illustration is that we have a hard time even coming to church once a week. And what we do here has eternal significance into your soul and spirit for all eternity. At the end of the day, you're not taking your hockey stick. And I'm just using that as an illustration. Follow me for a second here. We spend five days a week on the ice. We give the ice the best of our free time. And the house of God suffers. We give our money to the house league. Thousands of dollars a year. But when the pastor talks about investing into the house of God, because the Bible says to, we're offended. But we're not offended paying the fee every year for the ice time. You get what I'm saying? Even though my kid's not making it to the NHL. You see what I'm saying? And I just thought it was an interesting conversation, an interesting way of putting it. This didn't come from my mind, by the way. We were having a conversation. I was like, that's really interesting. And people complain about coming to church once a week. On time. Someone says on time. I didn't say that. That wasn't me. I'm just leaning in today, and not to, to make you feel bad, but to help us be challenged to see, like, man, like, what if the reason why we stop honoring God with our time in all the things that are important is because we've stopped seeing the value? We don't see the value. We see more value in investing into a hockey league than we do the house of God that's changing lives. You get what I'm saying? I'm not saying there's not value in investing in the other areas of your life. I'm just saying that if we had to pick, most people would be like, well, that makes sense. It doesn't make sense over here. It's too intangible. It's supernatural. It's spiritual. It doesn't make sense. I can't measure it. I wonder if our perspective has been dulled. The reason we don't see value is because we are missing a revelation of whatever it is that we should be valuing. I wonder if we're lacking in a revelation. It's because our, our perspectives of these things get warped over time because of problems and trials. You know, Paul the Apostle encourages us to honor this way. In the book of Philippians, and go there, chapter 2, verse 3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride, but in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. That's a huge, weighty statement. To live a life of honor is to consider others more important than yourselves. That's a hard one, isn't it? You know that you're considering others more important than yourselves when you can give something of yourself and expect nothing in return. 
You know that you're honoring somebody above yourselves when you can give of yourself to somebody and expect return and not get anything in return and keep on giving. Pastoring 101 here. Leadership 101. Any culture of leadership. This is 101 leadership talk. That leaders are called to give and give and give and there's not going to always be a reciprocation. And that's okay because generosity is supposed to be leading us in a sincerity of love because we have a sincere love for what God's called us to. You tracking with me here this morning? 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul instructs Timothy on how to lead well as a young pastor. And he's giving Timothy, his spiritual son, some real insight. And he says that, hey, leaders need to be honored. Now, I've never actually spoken on this verse because it's always made me feel like people are going to misinterpret the motive of why I'm sharing this verse. So I'm going to read this and I'm going to qualify everything. So don't get any religious panties in a knot in this moment when I say this, okay? This is the word. And I, 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 even the fact that I don't want to share this means probably I should to get over myself. It says in 1, Corinthians, or 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, it says the elders, which are considered the leaders who rule well, are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now you can see why I didn't want to read that. Okay? But I'm going to teach on this for a second. So track with me here. Let me read it out of the voice translation first. Another translation. Elders who are leading well should be admired and valued. Double up on the honor shown them, care for them well, especially those constantly and consistently teaching the word and preaching. Now I'm going to break this down for you, what this actually means. The word elders just means leaders, okay? Leaders that are leading well in a specific task in this context with preaching and teaching. The word for to rule well literally means to establish a preset character which provides the needed model to direct others. So those that rule well have a preset established character That is needed to model and direct others. It means having a diligence to take the lead. It underlines the effectiveness of influencing people by having a respected reputation. You know that reputation is not built in a day. It can be lost in a day, though, and that sucks. Reputation is built over a very long time. And in one day, one stupid move can destroy everything. It's a sad reality, but it's unfortunately the reality of leadership. You can spend years building something, and one stupid move will change the tra trajectory forever. This word for rule well means to be built on a solid track record. Okay, so leaders who have a well-established character that allows them to be the model needed to direct others, that have a well-respected reputation, should be counted worthy of double honor. Let's talk about what that word for worthy means. It means 
matching value to actual substance. Matching value. So putting a price tag on the substance that's overflowing from the source. You're tracking with me? Are you hearing this? So you're placing a value. There is value in you. So when you first got married, you saw value in that individual, right? You, and because you saw value, you placed a price on that value. And because of that, you honored your spouse, right? Is anyone here? Okay. Any relationship, any friendship, any co-working relationship, you put a value. Any mentor in your life, have you ever had a mentor in your life, leader in your life? You invited them into your world because you saw value on them. But maybe you got a little bruised along the way, jarred along the way, <clears throat> and you stopped honoring because you stopped seeing the value you once saw. It says here, be counted worthy to match the value to actual substance, a worth that corresponds to reality. If somebody is pouring into your life, honor should come from you because you see the value of what's being poured into your life. Now, take me out of the equation, for example. I'm not talking just about my context here, okay? Anybody in life, have you ever had a pastor, previous pastor in your life? A previous boss in your life? A previous leader in your life? A previous mentor in your life? A previous friend in your life? You should go back and say, hey, listen, I'm thankful for all those years that you invested in my life. You may not be around me as much anymore. I may not talk to you that much, but hey, I'm thankful. I'm, I'm going to give you some honor by reminding you what you've done for me. This word for double means twofold. Real simple, more than one. <clears throat> more than just what's necessary. And the word honor is the same word that's used in Romans chapter 12. It's the word time, T-O. comes from T-O, and it literally means to pay respect from perceived value or worth. What has value in the eyes of the beholder. And the last part of this verse says this, those who strain, it says here, the elders, leaders who real well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. The word for work hard is those who strain. Now, I thought this was kind of funny. The word for work hard in this, in the Greek context actually means to labor until worn out, depleted, and totally exhausted. But listen, talk, tell me any successful person in business that has never worked hard to complete, complete exhaustion. Tell me somebody who's worked hard at their job and has been successful that has never been completely exhausted. Right? Everyone in this room at some point. We all strain to do what we do well. That's normal. Now, I'm not saying aim for burnout. Aim to, like, crash and burn and quit. No, I'm just saying, Paul is saying, like, those who work hard need to be honored. And I have to say this because some of you are thinking, well, so what's the motive here? I'm not, once again, I'm just teaching the word, okay? And I have to say this. This house... Over the years, this house didn't always look like this, okay? We weren't always here. We will not always be here. This house, over the years, 
has modeled this so well for Michelle and I. We have felt the honor from this house. In years when we was like, we were like, man, this is like, we're going to like throw in the towel. Like, this is way too hard. Like, we lost our building. It's been seven years now. And like, there's been so many seasons where we were like, I don't know. And this house has done so well over the years. I mean, stuff like just moments where I remember one time we were at a, we were at horticulture building in Lansdowne and we were doing church there downtown at Lansdowne and we just come out of a, a, a challenging, a little bit of a challenging season and the team surprised us with my kids. I brought my kids on stage and you guys remember this and my kids got all blessed with tablets and when we were blessed with a whole espresso machine set up, I mean, it was like the best Sunday ever. <laughs> And there's been times when people on the outside of our church, businessmen, friends of mine, have sent us away on vacation that we could have never paid for just to bless us because of our investment, because of our connection. We felt so honored, not just from this house, but from people around our lives that we've been in connection with. Just even last September, you know, the team took over to Sunday and they honored Michelle and I for 10 years in the local leadership of the church here specifically. And it was we felt the honor. There's been so many times over the seasons that we've felt this honor and we're so thankful. So I just want to say that that this house has done well, has modeled well that. And I'm not sharing this to come sort of get some sort of guilty feedback or empathetic feedback from you where you're at the end of this, you're going to come up to me like, listen, I just want to honor you and all the value. You know, I'm not doing that to get this, okay? I'm just sharing the word in context of this message about what Paul is saying to honor one another because the same principle applies. It spills over. It's the same word used. Now we're almost done number three. Write this down, number three. I know it was getting long, but man, I had to strain strenuously for this. <laughs> number three, lead the way. Be a model. Romans chapter 12, verse 11 says this, or verse 10 says, honor one another above yourselves. That word for above literally means to lead the way. It means to be the example. Don't wait for someone else to go ahead. You go ahead. I think that often this concept is not taught enough is that we live in a culture in career. Like if, if you want to get promoted in your job, and I'm your boss, and I say to you, hey, can you, like, pick up this piece of trash on your way out? And your, your first response is, well, it's not my trash. No promotion there. In fact, you're probably going to get fired, depending on what kind of business I was running. Because it just shows that your heart, you're waiting on someone else to do something that you could be doing by leading the way. Right. It may not be your job. It may not be your role, but it may just be the very thing that changes your role into the role you've always wanted because your heart is big, because you're willing to lead by example and lead the way. Last point, and then we're done. Number four, stay diligent and serve God. Stay diligent and serve God. It says in verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. In some translations, it would say it like this. Be in diligence 
and not lagging. And this word means to be quick, to give one's best, quickly obeying what the Lord reveals as his priority. To be diligent is to go quick, to take action quickly. To be lagging literally means to be delayed, reluctant, slothful, slothful, dragging one's feet. How many know people that are slothful? It's like to get them out to do anything, it's like dragging their feet. Hey, you want to come out and be part of this event? Well, what time is it at? Oh, I got to get my beauty sleep. Well, there's all kinds of, and I get it, I get it. You're single, you have a lot of things going on, you have no kids, I get it. I'm just joking, just joking. Forgive me, Lord, sometimes I say that in my head, but... Um, We don't want to be those people. Paul is saying, be diligent, move quick, take action quick. Don't be a sloth. Don't drag your feet. Take action. And what is he saying to take action in? He's saying take action in being fervent in serving God. And there are many different ways we serve God. But I want to encourage you to ask the question in this season of your life, what way does God want you to serve that you haven't been serving? What way does God want you to serve that you've been serving in, but you need some more fervor, some more passion because you've lost the passion in this part of your relationship? To be fervent literally means this. I'm going to give you my translation. It means to keep it hot. You want to keep it hot in your relationship, right? How many married people in the house? Yeah, a few. You want to keep it hot, don't you? Hopefully. If it's not hot, it's cold. And cold isn't fun. Keeping it hot, right? But nobody, like, what's, what's going on here this morning? <laughs> the same way that you want to keep it hot in your relationship, God wants you to keep it hot in the way you serve him. And the way you bring all of yourself to him. Keep it hot. That, this word means hot enough to boil. It's the sound of boiling water. And to serve literally, literally means to give over all personal ownership and rights. God, do your thing. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to serve you because you're worth it, because you have value, because I know that in the end of the day, like, the only thing I'm taking with, you, with me is my relationship with you. The only thing that matters in the end, this doesn't matter, that doesn't matter, this. I mean, all the things that matter right now to you probably don't matter that much after you're dead. Some of you just got free of anxiety right there. I want you to stand up with me as we close here. I want to just say that, like, Jesus did all of these things that I just mentioned. He demonstrated all these things. He loved family so much that he gave his life for you, his family. Like he did all these things. He valued, he was devoted, he was a lover of family. He valued, he honored from valued, from value. He valued us so much by laying down his life. I mean, the gospel message is wrapped up in these verses that I just shared that Paul writes. He led the way in his sacrifice and resurrection. He was diligent when he wanted to give up. In the garden, he wanted to quit. He's like, I don't know if I can do this. 
He did it. He pushed through the pain. And did all of this because of this. He was burning red hot to serve the Father. He wanted to serve God with everything by laying down his life for all humanity. I want you to close your eyes just for a second. I want you to just meditate on some of what was shared this morning and how it applies to you. Like, I don't know how it applies to you. I don't know where it lands in your soul, but I know it does somewhere. I believe the Holy Spirit is ministering to you right now. He's speaking to you. He's sharing with you how this affects your life moving forward, how this affects your personal relationship with him moving forward, how it affects your interaction with the people around your life moving forward, how it affects what may feel like service to him practically moving forward. The Holy Spirit, let him speak to you right now. This is a season where you're called to aim. You're called to aim for peace. And if we can apply these truths in our life, we will find more peace in our relationships than we've ever found before. We'll start valuing the people in our life differently. We'll start honoring. We'll start being the example. We'll start loving differently, more sincerely. If all these things begin to take place, you're going to see peace in a whole new way. It may not be exactly what you think, but it will be what God wants. And if you're in this room this morning and you've never let Jesus into your life, because maybe you're on a journey, you're searching, I want to give you the opportunity. He died on a cross. God is whole body wrecked split open, nails in his wrists, his feet, thorns on his head, his insides were exposed. He did all of that. His body was completely ripped to shreds so your body could be made whole again, so your body could be healed again. His blood was spilt out so he could change the spiritual DNA on the inside of you and take all of that sin, all of that stuff that would hold you down and erase it entirely. But he didn't just die. He resurrected three days later to give you a new life, to give you a brand new life. And if you're in this room and you've never let him into your life, I want to give you an opportunity just to say, Jesus, I believe you're God. I want you in my life. I want you to lead my life. I want a relationship with you this morning. I receive your forgiveness, and I receive the power of the Holy Spirit in my life to live the life you called me to live in Jesus' name. If you said that and you meant it, I want to encourage you, talk to one of our team members in the lobby. We have something for you to help you along your journey.